Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at verses 11 through 16. This is a very fitting uh, sermon to begin this series because what it's going to talk about is what it means to be the church. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can describe the church. There's many opinions, there's many uh, cultural viewpoints of what it means to be the church, but biblically and simplistically speaking, the church is really a gospel community. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and how the finished work of Jesus Christ transforms us and then brings us to into a family or a community of believers. And here at Integrity, we believe that a gospel community is one that matures and multiplies so that we can both make much of Jesus together. I will never forget being a part of the church for the very first time. I was about 11 years old. My dad, my parents separated. I ended up living with my, my father, and we were deciding, okay, we've been through some hardships. Now let's just check out a church. And so my dad and I went to a church a few blocks down the road from where I grew up, and so we started going. It was a small rural um, Baptist church, and so we got involved and got plugged in. And I remember immediately um, we were some of the youngest people there, and I definitely was, and so some of the ladies there were just so glad to see us. And so uh, all these old ladies would just say, you got the cutest little red hair, and your freckles are angel kisses, and they would, you know, kiss me all over the cheek, and just made me feel, you know, super uncomfortable. And um, this one lady would remember my birthday. I don't know how, but it was like, I, I guess the, the connection card or whatever card they called it back then. I filled it out, put my address on there. So she remembered every single year on my birthday, she gave me a card with quarters in it for every year that I was born. So I think I was 11, so I had 11 quarters, and I was thinking, man, I'm going to stay in this church till I'm 50, and I'm just going to keep getting rich off this lady. And so, but I remember just loving the community, and I remember when my dad and I joined and, and to join a church in that, in, in that type of church, you walk the aisle and you come down front and you fill out a card and then people vote on you right then. They don't have to know anything about you, but they vote on you right then and then you're in the church if they like you. And so we got voted in. I remember uh, I, I told the pastor that I, I wanted to join the church and I want to be baptized. And I remember the pastor got up and he shared the story about, you know, uh, John and Ben, they're here and they want to be baptized, want to be part of our church. I remember looking up and there was a choir loft behind uh, the pastor and there's a lady in the choir loft and she was crying. And I asked my dad, I was like, why is she crying? Is this not supposed to be sad? And he goes, no, she's excited that we're doing this. And like, she's excited that we're, this is in this form, in this like a formality, no, She's excited that we're being a part of the church. And I will never forget, like, wow, this, these people genuinely love us. I remember thinking about a, a lady that used to lead my um, youth group at the time. She began to share, Ben, you have a spiritual gift that God wants you to use for this church and to further the gospel. I remember gotten multiple different people, uh, men that would disciple me and help me grow in my faith. And so those kinds of things are why I ended up staying in the church, uh, becoming a believer, and in, ending up being in ministry. And, and all, all that is because there was a handful of people. When I say a handful of people, I'm saying like six people in that church that got it, that got it. So it wasn't the, it has a sleek production that we went back. It wasn't the witty preaching it wasn't the cool music. It wasn't the robust programs or any of that stuff. It was just a few people who got it. 
There's a few people who loved Jesus and responded to the gospel and had a desire to invest in those that God had placed in their lives. And so if I could tell you that story of just a handful of people, like six or seven people, imagine what it would have been like if that whole church got it. Imagine what it would look like if Integrity Church, if we got it, if we understood this is what it means to to live our lives on mission for the sake of the gospel. Think about how different Greenville would look. Think about how different Eastern North Carolina would look. And I believe that every book in the Bible, every book in the New Testament, that a letter that's written to a church is written to capture this idea. I want the, the church to be a gospel community. As you, as you read through Scripture, I want you to understand something. When we, when we read Scriptures, oftentimes we try to internalize, okay, this is God's instruction for me. It's, we, we make it way too personal, and it's okay to make it personal, but I want you to know that these are actually letters to churches tell, reminding them to be a gospel community. And so what's happening here in Ephesians 4 is that Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, a church that exploded with growth. In Acts chapter 20, Luke records that this church was like none had, anyone had ever seen. The whole continent of Asia was affected by the impact. It was a church that was exploding with growth. And Paul is consistently reminding them, hey, that's not just what it means to be healthy. You have to be a gospel community. And so what happens is Paul isn't really concerned with the numeric growth. He doesn't think that health equals just the numeric growth of of tons of people coming. He's actually concerned with the health. And that's why over and over and over again, you see it in Acts 20, Paul's telling them to be careful, to guard their hearts, to look after themselves, and to guard the preaching. Because fierce wolves are going to come in, and they're going to try to take and seek and destroy the believers who are in the church and try to steer them away from the gospel. So Paul's point is numeric growth doesn't always equal health. A healthy community is really one that's rooted in the gospel. After all the things that the church of Ephesus had heard from Paul, all the things that they heard from in Acts, you, you see it recorded in Acts, you see it in Ephesians, you see it in First and Second Timothy, the church, we see it in Revelation chapter that the church died. And John writes in Revelation that the church died because they lost their first love. And Paul in Ephesians is pretty clear of why they, if they would have listened to Paul's words that we're going to read this morning, they wouldn't have lost their first love. They would have stayed on mission. And so here's what's happening. Uh, First three chapters of Ephesians are Paul laying out the gospel, the big purpose, the grand narrative of the gospel. And then what he does in chapter four is he transitions and says, okay, in light of the gospel, here's how you live your life. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 11. It says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. So right away, Paul describes what the mission of the church should be. He says, to equip the saints. That's the mission of the church. What he wants to see in Ephesus, that should be the mission of every church. That is the mission of every church. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. How does, what does this mean? How does it look? 
Well, it means that the goal of the body of Christ is to be the sent people of God. And it's not just the pastors, it's not just the elders or the deacons or the staff who are called to herald the gospel message. Rather, it's the people of God. We are to be equipped, he says, for the work of the ministry. And this idea should really drive what we think about the church. Because most of the people here in in the South, we think of the church this way. We often see it as, well, this is a Sunday event. This is when we come together to talk to God and listen from God. And then that's, that's our relationship with the church. But what it really means to share the love of God is not just inviting someone here to hear the professional preacher tell them about Jesus. It's really equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That means we all do the work of the ministry. That means we all leave here ready to share the good news of the gospel and to make disciples. That's the goal of the church. But what happens is, if we see this as, okay, my understanding of the church is not to be the same people of God, it's to invite someone so that the professional Ben can tell them about Jesus. Here's what happens. It can cause the church to be used as a viewed as a weekly event, or it alleviates the weight from God's people to share the gospel. But what he's saying is really where we get the idea as a church of maturing and multiplying. Maturing is being equipped, and multiplying is for the work of the ministry. And Paul is saying that the goal is for the people of God to be thoroughly equipped to make disciples. That's what we want from you, Integrity Church. We want to be able to equip you to make disciples. We want to be able to mature you and to multiply you. And what Paul is saying is is nothing new. It's exactly what Jesus actually said in Matthew 28, verses 19. He says, when he's giving the great commission to the disciples, he says, Go, therefore, and make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, he says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is Jesus' commission for the disciples to make disciples and to teach them all that he observed. What do you see in there? You see maturing, they're teaching them all that, that Jesus taught them, and then they're multiplying. They're, they're taking it out to the world. And so this is what you see Jesus communicate to his disciples. This is what Paul is communicating to the church at Ephesus. It's the same thing. It's a movement of disciples making disciples. And this is how the world would be reached. The world would be reached through maturing and multiplying. So the Great Commission isn't just telling people about Jesus, but it's actually about discipleship. And discipleship isn't happening through a a church program. It's happening really through people giving their lives for others. And every one of you here at Integrity have been uniquely gifted for this purpose. Notice again verse 11. He says, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. Here you have a list of of gifts and roles that God has granted uh, for some of the church, but it's not the only list or gifts uh, in the Bible. 
The point that Paul is making really isn't about gifts or spiritual gifts and roles. It's rather him showing that God has given his church enough to make disciples, enough to equip the saints. He's given all of us a uniqueness in order that we can uniquely come together as a body of believers to equip the saints. Now, a couple, couple of things here that I want to point out. It's easy for churches to get into the mindset of thinking, okay, if we have this certain thing, then we'll be able to make disciples. If we have this certain thing, then we'll be able to reach people for the gospel. And I see a lot, when I, when I was a younger preacher, I would go and preach in different small churches, and they would say, well, we used to have a youth pastor, and if we had a youth pastor, then we would be able to do this. Or we used to have this dynamic preacher, and if we had him come back, then we'd be able to do this. And it was always this, or we used to have this amount of money coming in, but if we had that amount of money in, then we'd be able to do this. And so it's like they're crippled because they don't have that thing that would make them disciples. Is that what Paul says here? No. Paul says, hey, I've given you people who are uniquely gifted that God has sovereignly placed your unique gift in this body to work together to make disciples. So what I'm trying to say is, Integrity Church, God has given us everything that we need to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Yes, God is growing our church. Yes, we're moving into a new building that, for, for the glory of God that we want to use so, as a tool for the gospel. But right now, I just want to say, as we move into the building, it's going to be an awesome tool that we're excited about. Man, we can't wait to do that and see what God does with that. But listen, because we have you, the people of God, Paul's saying we have everything that we need to make disciples. It's not this, we need these things. No, we, we can be thankful for the things that God's given us, but we have everything that we need. And not only that, it's not just a particular kind of person. There's a uniqueness here. And that's what I believe Paul is communicating. He's, he's really highlighting the varieties of gifts that, that people use, that God, that God uses to display the gospel. In other words, each of you here has an essential role in spreading the gospel here in Greenville. And if, we, if you want to see your life as a missionary, I want you to feel the weight of what Paul is saying here. So many of us, there's sort of this argument that we make in our minds. Well, once I've established my life, I will begin to live my life on mission for God. So once I have this job that I've always wanted, once I live in this neighborhood that I've always wanted to live in, once I, my kids graduate from college and I have more time on my hands, then I'm going to start um, making disciples. And we even see it all the time here in Greenville. This is a very transient city. People come and go, and people come and work, and, or maybe they come to school and they work as residents, and they get training for their job, and then they move on and clearly go outside the will of God and move to Raleigh or something like that. But many ask the question, why should I invest in a place where I know I'm going to leave in a few years? And my pushback to that mindset is, if you are a believer 
in the, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've been transformed by the gospel, God has gifted you and has uniquely given you a story. And it's a story that only you can proclaim because it's your story about how Christ has changed you. And not only that, it's, that's for, the, that's for the going out and sharing the gospel. Not only that, but it's also to equip other believers and help them grow in their faith as well. Only you can do your story. Only you can do it. Only you can share it. Only you can live it out. And you have an incredible gift to be able to build into this body, but also where you live, work, and play. You have a better chance of reaching your coworker than I do. You know why? Because they're your coworker. You have a better chance of reaching your next door neighbor than the pastors here. Because they're your next door neighbor. Hey, we don't want to live in your neighborhood. Right? I live in my own neighborhood. I have a goal to reach my neighbors for the gospel. But you are the best person to reach your neighbors. You know why? Because God said, I'm going to make you neighbors with this person. And he did it a long time ago. Planned this out for the foundation of the world. He planned out your neighbor for the gospel. Whether you live in an apartment, whether you live in a duplex, whether you live in the dorms, whether you live in a two-story house, whether you live out in the farm somewhere, and you're miles from someone, God has placed you sovereignly in that specific location, in this specific job for one reason, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to go and share the gospel you hearing that this morning, Integrity Church? This is, this is what he's saying. Hey, every one of us has this unique gift that God has given you to share the gospel. And so, um, each person has a unique gift so that the body of Christ can make disciples who make disciples, and Paul tells us why. He says in verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, he says, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. One of the things that I often see uh, in churches is that they have a discipleship program or discipleship class. And what, what I often see in discipleship programs or discipleship class is this. There's like an in-function to discipleship. So, okay, we want to make disciples, and so how do we know if we've made a disciple? Well, we know when we make a disciple when they start serving, right? We know we've made a disciple when they start giving. We know the disciple when they start sharing the gospel, and they're going door to door and asking people what would happen if they die, right? They, they do that. Or we know we made a disciple if we send them on a mission trip. Then once we've sent on a mission trip, man, we are done with discipleship. And that's it. That's what we think. But, but, but is that what Paul is after? Look again in third. 13. He says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Anyone have that this morning? Anyone say, man, I've obtained the unity of faith. I'm, I'm together with all these believers, and we're together working together for the sake of the gospel, and have, I have the knowledge of the Son of God. Yeah, I'm pretty much killing that right now. Anybody? This is what he's saying. This is why discipleship doesn't have an in function. 
It's not, okay, we've made a disciple because we know. We're making disciples because we're all after this. We will not have knowledge of the Son of God until we're in glory with him. So this is forever while we live our lives. We're always being made into disciples. I'm not, I'm being made into a disciple. All of you who are being made into disciples. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Romans 11, verse 33. He says, All the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. He's saying discipleship doesn't have an end function. It never ends. Never fully know the mind, the heart of God. And so your goal in discipleship is to know God. This is really the goal of the Christian life. This is why we say it all the time in integrity. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else. Your view of God affects how you see money. It affects how you see relationships, how you see marriage, how you see parenting, how you see the church, how you see pain, sorrow, happiness, everything. And God wants you to know him. And Paul is clear to say that when he says this is how, this is how we grow. He says, this is what makes you into a godly man. This is what makes you into a godly woman. He says, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is why Paul continues in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Now, we see this in the New Testament a a few times. Paul is saying, if you don't have sound doctrine, you're going to be tossed to and fro. James actually says a very similar thing. A person who doubts is like someone who's carried around by every wave and wind uh, of doctrine. You might say, well, that doesn't seem so bad. Now, I'll tell you this. If you've been seasick, you understand the weight of this text. Anybody here ever been seasick? Show of hands. Anybody? It is the worst thing. I have never in my life prayed for the second coming of Jesus Christ as much as I did when I was seasick. I'll tell you a quick story. I've shared this before, but the first time I got seasick, you think seasick, that means like deadliest catch or way out in this big barge and, you know, the graves are crashing. Man, the first time I got seasick was on a kayak 100 yards from the shore. The wind was blowing really hard. I was in this kayak, and we were looking at dolphins, and I remember just feeling this, oh, my gosh. And then the next thing I know, I'm feeding the dolphins through my, from my mouth, if you know what I'm saying, all right? And I remember I just told the guide, and I said, look, man, I, you're going to have to connect my kayak to yours because I swam back 100 yards, and as soon as you get off the boat or, what, or the kayak, in my case, it goes away instantly. It's the weirdest thing in the world. You feel like death, and then you feel like you can do anything, right? Well, man, I remember just feeling that hopelessness because you're not stable. Your mind's not working. The only thing you want to do is just get off of the, of the boat. And I remember just couldn't, I was laying down. I, I didn't want to walk, couldn't walk. It's, it's a hopeless feeling. And the way that Paul describes someone that doesn't have sound doctrine, doesn't have good theology, he says you're tossed to and fro. He says that you're like a child. You can't really do anything. You're not able to be mature. And, he, and, Paul, and James says it, you're unstable 
in all of your ways. And so the goal of discipleship is what is knowing God, which makes you have a foundation and helps you grow to understand him more. What sustains you when you suffer? What sustains you when you suffer is knowing the character of God. What sustains you when someone's in the hospital room and says, okay, we don't know the outcome. You say, okay, I'm going to trust God. That's your theology at work. You can trust God that he's in control. If you have a, if you have a theology that says he's not in control, then you're going to be pretty unstable, aren't you? If you have a theology that says God um, is trying to punish me, then you are going to have a pretty unstable view of that suffering. But what grounds you is knowing, okay, I have a theology that says God's in control. I have a theology that says God's not out to get me. God loves me because of what Christ has done. You see how just in that scenario, understanding the character of God keeps you secure and it keeps you stable. And that is exactly what Paul is after. Hey, if you have this ground, this grounding of God's word and grounding of God's character, you're not like a child. You are growing to become mature. And then he, so that's one way that we mature is through knowing God. But then in verse 15, he talks about another way of maturity. In verse 14, he says, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful, deceitful schemes. And then he says in verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body talking about the church, join and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. Integrity Church, don't miss this. Because this is how Paul describes a maturing Christian. When we often think about maturity, we, it's something like, okay, this is someone who's really disciplined to, to read the Bible every morning. It's someone who's very well-versed in maybe systematic theology, knows how to quote a bunch of verses. Or maybe someone who's just calm and, and collective. And think about it. When we even say that someone is immature, it's because they just do stupid stuff. It's because they say, okay, they're, they're foolish or they're childish and all they play is Fortnite and they buy the battle pass and all that stuff, right? They're immature. So we think maturity is the opposite of that. Okay, the, the maturity is the opposite of doing something foolish. Now, that's not exactly the way that Paul describes it, though. Look how he does it. He says it's speaking the truth in love, verse 15. We grow up in every way in him who is head. From the whole body, it's joined and held together by every joint which, may, which, is, uh, which it is equipped, which each part working properly, it makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. So it's not about what we just know about God, but it's really about how we then take what we know and treat other people. All of this is how we take God's word and we grow in it and then we use it to build up others. Notice the language again, speaking the truth of love. That's something that we do with others, joined and held together. That's the unity with believers. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. Why? So he says, he tells us, so it builds itself up in love. And so friends, maturity is displayed in how we really treat other people. 
So the stoic person that we often have in our mind who's always serious and um, we say, okay, that person's mature. They're just serious. They're stoic. They're kind of emotionless. If they don't love people, I would argue they're not mature at all. Because part of how we display maturity is how we love other people. That's what Paul is saying here. And so if you aren't a part of community and you're not living out the gospel and displaying love, you're likely very immature. Maturity happens within the body of Christ. You're not tossed to and fro because you've gained sound doctrine and you seek opportunities to love others by being in community. Paul's saying that's what maturity is. That's what maturity is. And so, friends, if I'm telling you this morning, man, the goal of God's word and goal of being in a gospel community and being in the church is for you to mature. This is what I'm saying. Grow in your knowledge of him and live in community with other believers. That's why we say discipleship happens in community. We want to see you grow in community because most of the letters written to the churches are telling people to continue to embrace the community they live in. The body of Christ, other believers, display maturity and what you know about God and then how you live it and how you live it to treat one another, other people. So this is the, this is the battle cry that happens over and over and over again. This is also why Christ came to die. Christ came to die and lived this perfect and sinless life and died on the cross um, for our sins in our place, rose from the grave and conquered the penalty of Satan's sin and death, the penalty that we deserve. But here's the thing that he did. We read it in Matthew 28. He gave that to his disciples to continue that message of maturing and multiplying. And it's to be done in the context now of the local church so that we could spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and also to one another. This is how maturity is displayed. This is called the church. And so this morning, are you representing the church? How are you maturing Integrity Church? And if you're not maturing, what's holding you back? Maybe a next step for you was to be a part of a small group. Maybe you're not growing in community with other believers. Maybe you're not living in transparency. Maybe you don't have anyone kind of holding you accountable, helping you grow. Maybe you haven't shared life with someone in a while. Maybe you haven't shared fears. Maybe you haven't shared sin struggles with someone in a while, maybe not ever. But the point of your life is not to live in isolation. The point of your life as a believer is to live in community. And so what's holding you back? Maybe you need to make that next step of of being in community. Maybe you need to be in a group of people or a group of two or three guys or two or three gals where you're growing in discipleship with them, reading scripture together, praying together. Maybe you haven't read scripture in a while. Maybe you need to pick it up and begin reading it and just asking the Lord to show you who he is through his word that you might mature. So what's holding you back this morning? What step do you need to take to grow in maturity? How about multiplying that maturity? How are you multiplying that maturity to others? Maybe you haven't shared the gospel in a while to your friend or your coworker, your family member. Maybe God's put someone even this morning on your heart to, to share that with. What step would you take to share the gospel Maybe it's to be, again, maybe it's for you now to, sh- to begin discipling someone else. Maybe you've had people disciple you over a course of time, and maybe you've had people build into your life, but maybe you haven't built any, anyone's life. 
But listen, let me tell you that this is what Paul is after. He's trying to communicate, hey, I want you to build each other up in love. I want you to grow in love together. And so maybe this morning also another way that you could be challenged to multiply is to make a decision about your life that would then multiply that gospel. So many times we're thinking about our ourselves and make decisions. Well, I know if I move here, I'll make more money. I know if I move here, I'll be able to get that job that I've always wanted. But well, how about making a decision based on the gospel? Make, making a decision based on what would further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, okay, well, I will make less money if I move here, but this is a better opportunity for the gospel. Maybe there will be a better opportunity for me to love and care for my family and disciple my children. That's a decision that's maturing and multiplying. So if you have something like that in your life that you have to make a decision that would help further the gospel, and perhaps the Lord is placing that on your heart um, this morning. But I want to tell you, friends, that Christ is the ultimate example of maturing and multiplying. He did that through by dying on the cross and sharing his love to the world. And so as we think about sacrificing our lives to know God and to share the gospel, may we look at Christ this morning. May he be the example that we have, the author and the finisher of our faith. And may we be a people who mature and multiply. God help us. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful and we're humbled by your work.